Glory to you, Lord Christ. Luke chapter 7, verses 25, 36, 8, verse 3. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair and her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who this was, and what sort of woman she is, and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed, owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of, him, of them would love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. If you weren't here right when we started, welcome. It's good to have you here this morning. Um, really good to be able to spend some time at the Lord's table together. And, um, encourage you throughout the summer to really make a priority of the table. Uh, and so part of the reason why we've introduced this now, uh, as a parish council, we talked about this. And I've wanted to do this for a long time, but I've been praying and waiting with timing. Um, part of the reason why we introduced it now is because as we head into the summer with holidays and the comings and goings and the natural rhythms that are actually really important, if we only celebrate the Eucharist every other week, you could not end up at the table for four to six weeks. And most of us feel all of a sudden like we're starving spiritually. And so we wanted to create more opportunity to just come to the table. So this service uh, every Wednesday will be a simple service. We'll follow the prayer book service and just be in the presence of God. Uh, and come, but I think it'll just be a really rich time. And so invite as well. One of the things of our heart for this service is that we would be able to serve the larger body of Christ, many who are hungry for the table, uh, but don't celebrate it this way um, and are very interested in coming. And so I've got a number of friends, even other clergy, who are excited to be able to come every once in a while and just receive. And so if you have people in your life um, who, who know Jesus and who would come to the table in that way or who are on a journey, just to invite them to come and just sit 
under the word and, and to enter into the sacraments. The passage that Sarah read is the one that I'd like to look at for a moment this morning. Luke chapter 7 starts in verse 36. Uh, a fairly familiar story to many who have spent time in the Gospels. Um, you heard the story just now as Sarah read it. There's an integral connection, I think, between an honest awareness of who Christ is and what he's done for us and what I would call a true heart of worship. And when I say true here, I, it, it harkens me back to, we used to, in the 90s, when I led a lot of sung worship, we sang over and over ad nauseum Matt Redman's Heart of Worship. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you've heard that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. You know, Matt, uh, an Anglican brother in many ways, you know, over in the UK, just leading in worship and walking these, these things out and began to realize that in the midst of worship, as a worship leader, someone who spent almost every hour of his waking life in worship, needed a song like that. Because in some ways, he had lost something. Something for the community had gotten somewhat off course, and it was drawing them back to this place of true worship. And when I say true here, I mean not true in the sense uh, uh, of false or true, but true even greater than that in the sense of what is right or whole or pure, that it is true. A true expression of faith is what we call orthodoxy, right worship. And so this faith we have in Jesus is lived out in orthodoxy. Right belief is lived out in right worship. Faith starts in many ways, this belief, this relationship with Jesus, starts in many ways with a revelation of our need for the gospel. The relationship that you have with Jesus, the journey that you're on with him, in many ways it starts in those places of our lives where we become aware of our need for Jesus. The scriptures have a word for this revelation. It is in fact the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we call conviction. And if you look at John chapter 16, it speaks of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And one of the gifts of the Spirit is that work of conviction, both of sin and of righteousness. That he would come in and show us what is right. Consistently in the Gospels, Jesus' interaction with the righteous reflects his desire to save them. But to save them by first helping them to wake up to their own need for a savior. He's often very blunt and forthright with the righteous, with the Pharisee, you know, with the with the scribe, with the Sadducee. He's, he's often very forthright and in their face. And while I think this is partly displaying God's heart for justice, I also believe that it's with a heart to wake these people up from their slumber, that they might come present to the saving work of God that's unfolding right in front of their eyes. Some examples, the story of Jesus and the adulterous woman in John chapter 8, as he deals with these religious men who have brought this woman to Jesus. The rich young ruler and Jesus' conversations with this young man who thinks he's got it cased. The, the interaction of Jesus with the Pharisees while reclined at table with Levi and his friends. Many different spaces where I see this at play and the story that Sarah uh, read for us in the Gospels in Luke 7 today is an incredible example of this. Jesus' response to Simon, the Pharisee who's hosting Jesus in Luke chapter 7, 
His response to Simon's criticism of the woman who had interrupted this party was not something along the lines of, Simon, you wouldn't get this because you've only sinned a little bit. I think sometimes we, we could read it that way, that Jesus is trying to say, you just wouldn't get it because you were never as far gone as this woman was. I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to get at. What Jesus wants Simon and each of us this morning to see is that this woman who has so extravagantly poured out her worship upon Jesus understands something that he doesn't. Her eyes have been opened to a revelation that he is still largely blind to. The woman has seen and been honest about the reality and the effect of her sin and in turn has become aware of just how good the gospel really is. In turn, the revelation that she's had regarding her need for a savior has allowed her to have a revelation of who Jesus is as savior. And that revelation naturally and unabashedly pours out in costly worship. Ultimately, this leads to an authentic and right or true worship, orthodoxy. There in the place of worship, she has an encounter with Jesus as she pours out in response to the revelation she's had, both of her need and of Christ's provision. She has an encounter with Jesus in the place of her worship that culminates, catch this, it's so beautiful, culminates with Jesus' incredible declaration over her life, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What happens in the heart and the mind of Simon when he hears that? Is he still distraught? Is he still frustrated? Is he still critical? Or is there something in his heart that is suddenly hungry? In our liturgy this morning, as we prepare to come to the table in a, in, in a little while, we will declare together that it is right to give him thanks and praise. The liturgy will go on to declare that it is right, our duty, and our joy, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. When we enter into worship, like that of the woman in Luke chapter 7, it is right. It is our duty, and it is our joy. And when we enter into worship like that of the woman in Luke 7, we in fact join with all of heaven whose worship is the outflow of having seen the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, directly following the passage that Sarah read for us, goes on to tell us that many other women whose lives were also transformed in similar ways. This woman is not some radical exception to the rule. What we see happening in Luke chapter 7 is not some one-off or the outflow of a really unique experience that an individual has had. She is rather for us in this story a model for worship. What Jesus wants Simon, and I would say each of us this morning, to realize is that what we witness in the actions of this woman is in fact the normative response of one who recognizes how much they've been forgiven. 
Who do you identify most with this morning in the story that was read? Perhaps you identify with the woman, but maybe a week or two before this moment. Aware of your sin, aware of your brokenness. Aware that there is a space or a separation between you and the God who created you. And a desperate hunger to see that change. Or perhaps you identify more in all honesty with Simon, whose self-righteousness was keeping him from really connecting with the need that he had for Jesus. My encouragement to you this morning is to just be honest in answer to that question. Where is your heart this morning? Today as you sit in the place of worship. Because we're going to invite you to the table in a moment. And in order to come to the table and to drink deep, to receive fully, to worship in a true way, I think we need to consider these things. And to ask that the Holy Spirit would come in our lives just like he came in this woman's. And to come in our lives just like he was coming in Simon's in this story. Recognize that Jesus is not just trying to put Simon in his place. He's trying to call Simon to a new place. Either way, the invitation to you here at the Lord's table is the same. No matter where you are today, no matter how you come, perhaps this morning you're here just like the woman in this story, fully aware of what God's done and just busting at the seams to get to the table. However you come, come to Jesus. And sometimes coming to Jesus involves a repentance. It revolves a turning, and we will certainly make space shortly for that as well. Come to Jesus and let worship flow from the place of your redemption.